button check. Four, three, two, one. And we are live. Welcome to the King's Crowd Startup Podcast, a podcast about startup investing for everyone, keeping you in tune to what's going on in the online private markets. I am Sean O'Reilly, King's Crowd CMO, and joining me is King's Crowd founder and CEO, Chris Lestrino. Chris, how you doing, man? Hey, what's up, Sean? Good to see you. You as well. How's uh, sunny California? You know what? It's extremely sunny today. It's beautiful out. And uh, it's kind of hard to believe that half the people I work with are under about 15 inches of snow this morning. <laughs> so I don't have that. Although, man, Howie, he, well, he likes it because he has an ice rink. But uh, we just got our first flurries here in D.C. So, like, it's, w- w- winter is coming. I hate to say it because it's so cliche at this point. But, you know. You know, you should probably hit on that, though. Uh, for those who don't know, our CTO, our CTO is a huge, huge hockey person, and he literally builds an ice hockey rink in his backyard every year. This thing is legit, too. So I was thinking, like, I don't know what I envisioned, if it was, like, just a plastic tarp down or something. I don't know. But he sends <laughs> us that photo in Slack, and it's legit. It's, like, wood two-by-fours on the sides, and... He's talking about it his son like plays for four hours and he and his friends don't come inside and I'm like whoa in a very CTO way he's actually shown me his whole binder that he has to make it every year all of the instructions for the layout and the structure it's pretty amazing so how does he hold the boards together is it mailed or is it <laughs> something else I think there yeah I think there's some pegs and there's some ice but anyway a 15 inch snowstorm is kind of like heaven to him so i think he's uh, thoroughly enjoying himself today oh wow yeah cool and he's outside of boston right like he is yeah, yeah he's, at, he's in the right place for all this yeah not a bad place to be for some ice hockey so our bruins fan is doing well today but i'm very happy to be out here in sunny california for sure um so let's dive in uh the theme of this episode is greatest startup investments of all time um, we all want to make, I don't know, a million percent or whatever on a startup investment. Um, I'm, of course, a uh, co-founder of a company that we hope to be a million percent return company someday. Um, but, uh, so I just finished a book. It is called VC in American History. And if anybody wants a complete history of that, I actually highly recommend it. It's by Tom Nicholas. Um, a little bit of a plug here, and we are in co- we are not compensated in any way by Tom or his publisher, but I just really enjoyed the book. But um, it's actually kind of ironic. The book starts off talking about venture capital in America and how it was whalers in New England, like mm. in Boston, outside of Boston there in uh, New Bedford, Massachusetts, and how those whalers, these venture capitalists, I'm using this loosely, of course, invested their profits from whaling in another risky venture capital investment, textile mills. And one of these textile mills became Berkshire Hathaway, the company oh. that Warren Buffett took over and did the opposite of venture capital. Go <laughs> <So, laughs> anyway. the safest route you can go. <laughs> yeah. No so, yeah. So anyway, very fun. Um, so uh, eventually the book flash forwards, and as we all kind of know, Venture capital didn't really take off in the United States until words started to get out about a couple of successful companies. And these companies were like the HPs and the Apples. And uh, it seems like we should have started King's Crowd in a garage, like just because we had to go along with, you know, all these you know, successful companies and everything. 
But um, slowly, word gets out about these companies, and you you read the history of these things, and you can't help but notice that it's it's very much a club. It's a private club, and you have to know these people in order to get into it. Um, there's some debate about who was on the original Apple cap table when they went public, but um, I, I, I did some research. There's Quora searches. There's Wikipedia. I looked at uh, the IPO prospectus from that. But um, a lot of people got rich that day, and on the cap table is Sequoia Capital, which is we all know is I mean I don't know they have the street from you out there in San Francisco. A little bit, a little further a little down the road, but yeah, they're yeah. they're not far. It is. Yeah, I don't think it's a coincidence that they were there when they're arguably one of the most successful venture capital firms in the world now. Like they're, you want a billion dollars, go to Sequoia, and you're you know maybe throw in. Um, but. That's what really what struck me was what you know, the, the private club nature of it. And uh, obviously there's risks and everything, but if you strike it rich, it can get very, very good. Um, listen to this. We actually just had a very, very important anniversary on December 12th. Um, on that day in 1980, Apple went public at $22 a share. It's obviously split a few times since then. Um, at a valuation of $1.778 billion, which that's a lot of money back then, right? Back then, today, it'd be it's like, like, what is it, a SPAC or something? Is that like, um, a, like a mediocre SPAC? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but no, you, you're absolutely right. For back then, that is an incredible amount of money. And I wonder what it would be in today's summer. Is that like north of a five to $8 billion type of IPO? Right, which even today, that's not... That's not chump change. Like that's like, oh yeah, that's not so bad or whatever. Um, Especially if you're getting in at the ground floor, right? Like I could only imagine the types of returns some of those early investors saw. Oh, I know. Um, with God, what was that guy's name? They joked about it in, in the Silicon Valley show on HBO. But uh, there's that guy that sold 10% of Apple for like a couple grand or something because he just wanted <laughs> out or something. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> um, so. Just through, so we've been doing this Kings Crowd private market, you know, basically letting investors see how these companies operate and invest in them in a, in a more effective way and in an intelligent way for a few years now. And you're starting to get into this industry. What can you tell us about how the VC world thinks today versus, you know, maybe what we know about how they used to think 30 years ago when the, in the Apple days or, um, how do these people think about investing in startups these days is basically the question. So it's funny that you asked the question. There's definitely been a, a pretty big sea change in uh, VC thinking and operating over the past 20, 30 years. But I, I think a great story of where it came from. So venture capital was very much kind of the wild, wild west when it was really good, when it was really exciting. Uh, and what I mean by that is there wasn't, you know, a lot of forethought into building these huge funds and being institutionalized and having processes in place. It was like, see a cool idea, invest in a cool idea. And uh, there's actually a funny story from one of my very close friends in, uh, in college. His parents both went to Harvard. And, uh, and sure enough, you know, they were approached by two friends who wanted them to invest in their companies. Uh, one knew somebody, uh, they were very, very early on at a, a little company called Microsoft. It's a little oh, weird no. computer company. And the other one was starting a brewery. And it was like, well, this one feels pretty sure Obviously that it's going to be well. <laughs> Everyone Obviously. loves beer. 
Like what could go wrong? We're not going to put our money in this weird computer thing that no one seems to want or need. Oh, and, uh, wow. So you can imagine the other people at that table who had, uh, who had listened and decided very early on that they were going to invest in, you know, one of the rounds of Microsoft uh, did quite well, whereas their, their dollars didn't do quite as well. Um, but it, it kind of speaks to this, you know, it was very much kind oh, of, uh, <laughs> I think it did okay, <laughs> but nothing uh, in relativity, you know, it's the, the poor person's investment. Um, but, it, you know, in reality, I think that was very much kind of the uh, initial kind of venture capital world was this word of mouth, you hear about a cool deal, you know, through somebody and you kind of get involved. Right. And, yeah. uh, you know, you place a few bets. And I think what ended up happening was you had these firms like Sequoia, and it's not that they're not very brilliant, bright people that work there, but it was kind of, hey, we're going we're gonna to throw a few bucks at these companies. We're excited. We don't fit the normal mold of the traditional financial industry. We're going to take these big bets. And it paid off and it paid off in a huge way. I mean, the, the Googles and, you know, all of these companies that just, the apples of the world. Uh, and from that, now they're kind of a product of their own success and that they had so much success that everyone wanted to give them their money. And now they've become these drastically lar larger organizations. So where they might've been, you know, a $10 million fund might've been really big in the eighties or nineties. Now, you know, if you're not a hundred million, literally hundred million or less considered micro VC. Um, yeah, I can't imagine those guys getting meetings. It's it's, sad. <laughs> yeah. it's just incredible that, you know, you practically need to be a half a billion to billion dollars in order to be relevant in the venture industry. But that's also really changed the equation of how many companies they invest in, the dollar sizes that they invest in. It's become much more institutionalized. And in many ways, they've, they've had to start to move to a model where they're really trying to de-risk their investments. A lot of follow-on investments. Which is weird to think about it that way. It's like, wait, what? We're paying you to take the risk. and In some yeah. ways, it's a little bit of a development, right, of, of where they, they came from. And I get it because bigger dollar sums, it's harder to return those same types of returns unless you're taking bigger bets. Right. Um, so it's been kind of interesting to see but it's left kind of this market gap. Um, Pre-seed and seed used to be an idea on a piece of paper. Now, unless you know the exact right people and you come from the exact right university, you have no chance of getting funded in true pre-seed seed. Seed is the new kind of series A. Pre-seed is like you already have a product, you already have a team, you have some traction. Um, and so that market's needing to be filled and we're kind of seeing the new emergence of the new venture capital ecosystem, the new, I, I wouldn't call it a wild west because I think it's a lot more informed and it's a lot more regulated, frankly. Uh, but now the online private market ecosystem is starting to be the stopgap and filling in the capital structure. Uh, and I think kind of reinventing venture capital to become more of what it was before it got a little too big for its own skis. For sure. Um, and speaking of which, um, flashing forward today, all that success, um, all, all, all the online private markets, they, uh, to me, they couldn't have come at a better time. Uh, I actually went to the National Venture Capital Association. They do have that. Uh, and <laughs> last year, this is just in the United States, mind you, $130 billion was invested in startups via private transactions. So the average Joe probably couldn't get in that. This was like a 10, 50, $100 million check. Um, last year was also a good year for these guys. Uh, U.S. This is my favorite statistic. VC uh, exit value was two hundred and fifty-six point four billion dollars across eight hundred and eighty-two liquidity events. So, wow. good time. This year is going to be even crazier. I can't wait for those numbers to come out. 
Um, but bottom line, that's a lot of money. And the average American didn't really benefit from that unless, you know, obviously CalPERS and pension funds and those types of organizations invest in Sequoia sure. or what have you. But um, until the online private markets came along, like, tough luck, man, sorry. Like, it was not going to happen. You're, you, you can't benefit from that. Yeah, you know, I think last week with uh, all of the, the IPO flurry that's going on right now, Silicon Valley has minted more billionaires and millionaires. I mean, it's but when, when I talk about that, we're talking about, you know, maybe a couple hundred millionaires and a few billionaires, which is like, holy cow, that's incredible. But think of all the people, for instance, I think it's a great example, Airbnb. Do you think if you had offered to all of the, the, the housing hosts or whatever you call them that, you know, allow you to come and stay at their house, all of those early adopters who are utilizing the platform to let people stay at their home. They're the reason it exists, right? Like they're the gung-ho. Yeah, Yeah. they're the reason it exists. So imagine if they had offered them the ability to own some equity in the company back in 2010 or whatever. Oh man. Would they, if you could have said, hey, you can invest $500 in Airbnb. Today, that would probably be worth from the valuation they had then to what it's worth now. Oh, I know. I bet yeah. you we'd have a lot more millionaires. What was it that um, the guy that painted the mural at Facebook's headquarters back in the day, he took stock and he has like $100 <laughs> million dollars now. And it just shows you that a little bit goes a long, long way when things go well. And I, I mean, I really kind of feel bad. Same thing with Uber. Like, imagine if all the drivers had gotten a, a notification one day that said, hey, we're on net capital, we're on Republic. You wanna come invest in our, you know, in our series B. And they raised $50 million under Reg A plus from all of their drivers. One, imagine the stickiness level they would have created with that driver because they now the own it. Like, would go through the roof. Like there's a, <laughs> there's a feedback loop there, yeah. They probably could have minted like 10,000 drivers could have become millionaires or something, you know, if they'd invested wow. in 0809. And it's just like, man, how cool would that have been? That's pretty sweet, yeah. Yeah, so looking at it that way, imagine if a, (laughs) I remember when I signed up for Facebook, it was my freshman year of college. In fact, (laughs) um, in the movie, The Social Network, which I know isn't 100% accurate to reality, and da-da-da-da-da, that's fine. In any case, they dramatized it, but the second wave, when they left the Ivy League schools and went to the second cluster of colleges, I was in that wave, and I, I, Facebook blog, and it's still my Case Western email. Like, it's weird. But imagine if we all got, I don't know, a few shares, or if you could have, if I could have invested 50 bucks in Facebook yeah. at the time or something like that. That's a big deal. Done quite well. <laughs> of course, it was uh, the, fa- the Facebook at the time, as we all know. Um, but then I could have seen a return like Peter Thiel, who uh, it's actually dramatized in the movie. I don't know why I keep talking that. But uh, 500 grand, you walked away with over a billion dollars. Yeah. Wow. What was the joke? They did. They needed it for server money or something. But anyway, um, more recently, I before we went on air here, I kind of went nuts with the research. Uh, I don't know if you saw in our outline, but uh, Snowflake, the company that I couldn't believe Buffett got in on that later. Like that was a little weird, but whatever. Um, they went public at a valuation of seventy billion, and um, their one of their early investors, Sutter Hill Ventures, run by M- Mike Spicer. Uh, they invested two hundred million. Like six, seven years ago, not bad. Uh, $12.4 billion profit. Wow. They own 20% of Snowflake. And yeah. Um, Also, according to CB Insights, uh, the best venture capital bet of all time was WhatsApp. 
Um, you remember what, that was a weird buy too because they didn't have any revenues. Like Zuckerberg just wanted all the users. Yeah, was maybe they, that's why they're. Did they still uh, charge a dollar? Did they get rid of that? You know, I that I'm not sure of, but it, it is interesting. I mean, you could see that Zuckerberg knew that if he wanted to continue to own kind of communications and social, he'd have to continue to grow the user base. But he uh, a monopoly, you know, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Turns out <laughs> you have to be pretty aggressive in what you do. Um, yeah, that, that's an unbelievable return. I, I don't know exactly what Instagram was, but I think they only had a handful of employees and he acquired them at north of a billion dollars as well. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, and WhatsApp, it was 22 billion. It went up because it was Facebook stock, but um, it was Sequoia. There's that name again. They invested 60 million and they walked away with a $3 billion profit off the WhatsApp acquisition by Facebook in three years. That is 50 times your money, and I don't even know what that is annualized, but that is crazy. <laughs> it's a really, really powerful asset class. I think that's what it gets back to is like when, when you hit it right, it's a really powerful asset class. And, you know, love Sequoia. I mean, they're, they're one of the pioneers of venture capital. But to be clear, we're not talking, who knows how many of their companies have failed, right? We, we're not talking about exactly. the long yeah. companies they put money into that went nowhere. It's um, the the eighty twenty rule, and then that actually applies there. Um, it's probably like ninety five five rule, right? <laughs> oh yeah, it's no. My, uh, I think Peter Thiel's book Zero to One. It's like he's like, yeah, most of these will fail, but one will one will do just fine. And you like want that one to become the whole portfolio, basically. Yeah. Um, returns like this though do kind of remind you though. I was just in the Net Capital's platform looking at uh, King's Crowd's own stocks. Uh, sorry for the shameless plug, but. Um, it kind of reminds me of what our early investors have seen since our first raise. Um, we obviously haven't had an exit event or anything like that, but um, gosh, what was it, 18 or 20 months ago or something like that? It, it's amazing. So one of the really cool things that I don't think a lot of people yet realize is that you know one of the major issues with traditional kind of private markets is that there's very little liquidity, unless you're a major institution who sets up, you know- That's why most of these companies are public, right? Exactly right. They're looking for a liquidity event and they're just saying, hey, we need money back. And so you're going to IPO in order to enable that. Um, so liquidity is a huge, huge issue in the traditional private equity markets. And what the new space is doing is it's ushering in an age of, of markets that can enable secondary marketplaces. And we're actually listed on net capital. That's where we did our seed round of funding and our pre-seed round of funding. Um, and net capital, I believe, is the first marketplace that offered a secondary market. So you can list your primary offering, raise capital for your business. And then after non-accredited investors hold for a year, um, and for accredited investors, it's right away, you can begin to actually trade that stock. And the way it works is that it's a bit announced market. Um, so basically, you say, hey, I bought shares of King's Crowd at, you know, a buck something. Um, and, you know, I, I've heard really good news. I've been following their story. I want to sell at three, four or five bucks. And then you put up your number of shares that you're willing to pay to sell at that price. And someone would come in and say, hey, I want this number of shares at this price. And if there's a match, um, the transaction. It looks like the order book in the stock market is what it looks like. And it's really cool to see these offers of like 400 shares at 10 or there's somebody that wants to sell a share at 500 shares. I don't think you see that. Yeah, I, I have seen, I mean, there's some really funny ones, you know, there, there's kind of that wide gap, but most of them right now, it's kind of cool to see, I think are between like three and seven bucks, which is a really, really nice upside from where we started 18 months ago. Now, obviously it's not, you know, hundred X or whatever, but it's already on its way to being a three, four, five, six times uh, people's money. And 
we haven't had a liquidity event at all. That's them decide, you know, individuals in the market deciding, hey, this company's progressing really well. I want to return and I can get it. Right. Um, so that's been awesome. I actually, very cool story. Um, the other day, I get this text out of nowhere from a, a good friend of mine who's been traveling around Europe. Um, now he's buying a house and he, he texts me and says, hey, guess what? He's like, I know I'm probably making a really dumb decision here selling my shares early. He's like, but I'm buying a house and I needed all the liquidity I can oh, get. Yeah. And I just want to say, thank you. I just went on and I got like a three and a half or four times my money uh, return over like 18 months. He's like, first off, that's incredible. Second, he's like, I think it's pretty poetic that a friend from college is helping me buy my first house. And I, I was just like, that was You're so- You're a good man, Chris, you know? <laughs> <laughs> but like that, you know, when people ask me, well, you know, why do you need a secondary market and private equity and stuff? It's because people's lives- aren't based on our timeline of building our company where, you know, we could be at this for 10, 15 years building this company to become a multi-billion dollar organization, but people need money now. And if they made that investment, they can get an upside. Like I'm all for that. I love that's why there's a market, man. You know, that's why there's a market. So it's, it's pretty cool to see. So if people our listeners want to be more like your friend from college, like Sequoia, like the, uh, the the millions of people that have discovered the online private markets in the past few years, um, how should they be thinking about the current marketplace and uh, this incredible power that people have? Because, you know, I, I'm going to keep plugging this until I'm blue in the face, but until 2016, most Americans couldn't get in on these startups. And it's yep. really, really powerful to be able to do this. And King's Crowd is there to help. We're the only the the only platform that's providing research and analytics on across all these platforms. But the, at the end of the day, the power is still in the individual's hand. So how should they be thinking about things and using tools like King's Crowd to uh, buy their first house, like your your college money? <laughs> so that might not happen for everybody, but I, I think the the very top level answer is invest early and invest often. And really, what I mean by that is build a large diversified portfolio of small investments because all it takes is for a couple of them to hit. And you know, you're never 100% sure with startups, there's a lot of level of risk and there's a lot of unknowns, but if you build a pretty large portfolio, you know, somewhere in that portfolio, you're, you're gonna hit some, some major wins. And that's what you wanna do. You wanna give yourself as many opportunities to have that big win um, that can make all of the difference. So, you know, come up with a thesis, do your research, care about the fundamentals of the business. And, and I think for me, it always comes down to, in one line, can you give a thesis that explains why you believe in this idea for the next 10 years and why this is the right team to do it? And if you can answer that and you truly understand it, then it gives you a lot of confidence to go in on that deal and say, I'm here for the long run, I'm here for the ups and downs, but I believe in this over the next 10 years. If you can't do that and you don't really know why you're doing it, you should probably stay away because now you're just doing it because you're hopping in on some sort of hype or thinking you have to do it. Um, when maybe, it, you know, it doesn't make the most amount of sense. Yeah. So, and even um, Peter Lynch, the the Magellan Fund, uh, mutual fund guy, he was making like 25, 30% a year in the 90s. But he even said in the stock market, if you're right, six out of four times, you're doing really, really well. So, yeah. you know, everybody should keep that in mind with startup investments because you will not be right six out of four times. That's for sure. Um, that's but sad. Peter Lynch also said, I, I'm glad you brought up Peter Lynch. It's one of my favorite investing books of all time. I think it might have been one of the first ones I ever read. Um, Peter Lynch talks about investing in what you know. 
Yep. Send his wife to the mall and all that, right? Like. Yeah. (laughs) And I just love that idea. Like he would go to the mall and he'd see what his daughters were excited about. And he knew they were the up and comers who were going to become the senders. And he's like, that's who I need to be looking to. And I just love that idea. And it goes back to this, you know, if Uber had offered to allow you to invest in their company, if you're a driver and you're using it every day for your livelihood, you probably think this is probably worth the bet, you know, and I, I think that's so cool. Right, for sure. Um, Have you seen, so before we finish here, um, I kind of want to give people context on your uh, invest early and invest often. It's like the old joke, vote early and vote often. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But uh, what is the, okay, so there, obviously there's plenty of people in the online private markets that have invested in one or two deals. Like they're just, yeah, I believed in I believe in King's crowd and that's it. And that's why I invested in that. You know, I know lots of these people, right? So do you, um, what is the, the most you've ever personally heard? Like somebody's telling you like, Oh, I invested in 50 deals last month or something like what's the (laughs) craziest, most addictive startup investor you've ever met? Well, if funny enough on the back end of our, um, kind of our backend infrastructure for King's crowd, um, in our Merlin database, we, you know, we're tracking all of the portfolios of every individual who creates a portfolio on Kingscrown. We have access to that information. And the access that we have is we can look at, you know, the total number of deals people are investing in, the total number of dollars. Um, so we could understand how many people are utilizing Kingscrown portfolios to manage and look at all their investments. And I, it, we kind of have a couple of statistics around high and low, you know, what's the most amount of investments, what's the least amount of investment. And I want to say um, there's a couple of folks who have like, somewhere between 75 and 100 investments plus. What? Uh, yeah, it's pretty amazing. Actually, one of the guys on our team, one of our developers uh, is a huge, huge fan of this space and I absolutely love him. And I think he has north of 100 investments himself. So there's some uh, there's some pretty cool angel wow. investments out there doing a lot of deals. I have to talk to that guy, man. Wait, so, <laughs> yeah, so people, I mean, this market's not that old. So you're talking about like, five investments a month for a year or something like this is yeah, I think that's about right wow all right. right uh well chris as always it was a pleasure just for our listeners to know we will be taking the week between christmas and new year's eve off so uh chris enjoy your break i know i will yes you too and uh that is it for us folks if you have any questions about the online private markets or king's Cross proprietary ratings and analytics platforms merlin just email us at podcast at kingscrowd.com. For Chris Lestrino, I am Sean O'Reilly. Thanks for listening.